So when you think about some of the big events in history, what comes to mind? Pearl Harbor, 9-11, World War II, right? You know what's bigger than all of them? David versus Goliath. It's known like anywhere and everywhere. It's one of the biggest stories of scripture. And that's what we're tackling tonight. What a treat. So if you don't know where we've been, I'll try to catch you up super quick because it's a long chapter. Saul was kind of elected by the people. God said, okay, fine. But then Saul gets fired because he disobeys God. However, in this time, you, you, just, you didn't retire as a king. You died. You had to wait for the king to die. So we're kind of in this waiting period where Saul has been fired by God, but he's still the king of Israel. And we're waiting for something to happen where essentially he dies. Already, the new king has been selected. That was last week. It's a guy by the name of David, right? All the other brothers, no, 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 no. Do you have any more sons? <laughs> oh, of course, right? You mean you didn't call him in? Oh, the forgotten son, David. And he is anointed king. But even though he is the king, the rightful king, he's not ruling yet, is he? No. He's keeping the flocks. He's just doing what dad wants him to do. He's rightful king, but there is a usurper on the throne, and we have to wait for that usurper to be taken care of, which is kind of like where we live today, by the way. There's an in-between time. We're waiting for the king, the rightful king, to rule. So God, though, then as now, does incredible things in the in-between times. The events that are going to take place from this chapter all the way to the end of 1 Samuel, prepare David to be the king. In fact, the final story in 1 Samuel is one of the most important in the entire book. It is the final notch that says, okay, David, you're ready. And so here we begin on the in-between years that are gonna prepare David to be able to rule Israel. And right now, in this in-between time, you and I are being prepared so that one day we can take our mantles and rule with our king as well. So let's jump in, brilliant section. And it begins kind of like a boxing match. You ever watched a boxing match? Like the announcer gets up there and is like, in the red corner we have... Joe Boxer, and he is six foot two with a record of 37 wins, 27 by KO, right? And in the blue corner, we've got, so then let's get ready to, that's the first section of this. It's, that wasn't invented by Las Vegas. It's second, it's first Samuel chapter 17, where it is literally the introduction of the two champions. Give us some background on them, and then we get to the big fight. So let's go. Let's look at the champions. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Sukkah, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sukkah and Azkah 
and Ephes, Damon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up a line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side and Israel stood on the mountain of the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. <clears throat> and his shield bearer went before him, and he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. In the red corner. So he comes out and he's like, why haven't you come out and fight, fought me, right? And they're like, because you're 27 feet tall. That's why. And he trash talks them. The NFL did not invent trash talking. This is happening right here. He goes out and he trash talks the Israelites. And it is, it's an absolute stacked deck here. First of all, what we notice real quick is Saul has got real weak. Something has happened to Saul where before he was winning these battles and the Philistines were on their heels, Saul's got weak. And you know that because where the battle is taking place, it's all the way up in the middle of Judah, right? The Philistines controlled the coast. The Israelites were up in the mountains. The Philistines had come all the way into the center of Israel, right? The battle wasn't in Coos Bay. The battle was in Eugene. So it was very deep into Israel territory. And the only way they could go that deep was if Saul had kind of lost his moxie. So he's weak right now. Number two, they've got Goliath as the champion. Now, why was he the champion? Because he was tall, right? <laughs> he's a tall dude. Do you know that height is an advantage in life? It's been studied over and over. Tall people make more money than short people. Tall people get jobs easier than short people. They get promotions better than short people. People believe a tall person is smarter than a short person. Most men lie about their height. I have never lied. I've always been 6'4", right? There is surgery that's performed all the time to help people grow. You know what it's called? limb lengthening. You ever looked at it? 
They literally screw a bolt into your knee and a bolt into your thigh, and then they shatter your thigh bone, put this big piece of steel on the outside, and then they slowly separate over a couple of weeks, and then your bone grows back. And they can add three inches to your height. That's how crazy height is, right? We know that there's power in height. There just is. Like, would you rather fight me or Chad Hansen? Right? It's real simple. There's an uh, obvious kind of like, ah, that dude is big. No thanks. So it's stacked. Saul's weak. They've got this giant, right? He is so big. And then they have a technological advantage. And this technological advantage technology advantage. It'd be like this. I grabbed these two pictures. It's like, here's the first picture. Let there be light. And there was light. Okay. This would be Israel. Okay. This next picture, this would be Goliath. He's got all the technology. He's got, he is wearing 125 pounds of armor. I don't know how big you have to be to walk around with 125 pounds of armor, but you gotta be a lot more than 125 pounds. He is huge. He is six, he is six cubits and a span, which makes him nine feet, nine inches tall. His assistant has better weapons and armor than the entire army of Israel, Right? This is a classic David versus Goliath story, <laughs> literally. I don't know how he got so big, pituitary gland, hormones, who knows? The same things kind of happen today, but the NBA would be drooling over this guy. He is giant, giant. His spear weighs 15 pounds. Imagine holding a big stick with 15 pounds out on the end of it. You're strong. He is a walking armored tank. That's what he is, right? So Saul's weak. They have this incredible giant champion who has got technology that's coming out and shown visibly to everybody like, whoa, he glints in the sun. What are we gonna do about him? What does Israel have? Does Israel have their own giant? They do. His name is Saul. When Saul is introduced, it says this in chapter nine, verse two. He was head and shoulders taller than every other single Israelite. So how much is head and shoulders taller than somebody? At least 12 inches, maybe 15 inches. He's a giant in his own right. What does Saul have that no one else has? He has armor. None of the Israelites have armor, but we're told Saul and Jonathan, they had some armor. So when you look at the two, the only guy in Israel that actually matches up against Goliath is their own giant. It would be Saul. He's the only one. But what is Saul doing? He's hiding and he is afraid. He's running away. And what happens to all the rest of Israel when their giant runs and hides? They follow him. They run and hide. Why? Here's what I think. 
In verse nine, Goliath comes out, excuse me. In verse eight, Goliath comes out and he calls Israel, aren't you the servants of Saul? Was Israel supposed to be the servants of Saul? Mm -mm. Who was Israel to be the servants of? Yahweh. That's the right answer. The enemy was able to define to Israel who they were. He was able to tell them, you're just servants of Saul. And because Saul is afraid and because Saul is hiding, you're gonna run and you are gonna hide as well. But Yahweh, if they remembered that they were servants of Yahweh, they would remember, hey, we're not supposed to be afraid. Hey, we serve God, not Saul. And they wouldn't have ran and wouldn't have hid. Listen to me carefully. Never, ever ever let the enemy dictate your identity. Never, ever, ever let the enemy dictate your identity. It is his biggest tool. You're not a good believer. You don't deserve to be loved, right? You ever heard the voice of the enemy? He's always trying to identify us, not as children of the living God, but as something else. Never, let the enemy do that. This is their fatal mistake. He's already defeated them because the enemy gets to dictate the terms of their identity. And the Philistine comes out with a high-stake gamble, doesn't he? You beat me, we're your slaves. I beat you, you become our slaves. Who does it favor? <laughs> It's a stacked deck. It'd be like a Jamaican person or the country of Jamaica challenging any other country to a 100-yard dash, right? It'd be like the Kenyans challenging any other country to a marathon. It'd be like Michael Jordan challenging me to a one-on-one -on -one basketball tournament. I will dominate him. He's old. <laughs> right? You just know, like, this is, uh, okay, doomed. But there's a little hint of hope in this. In the midst of this just deck-stacked, impossible situation, there's hope because the battle is going to happen in a valley. A valley where it's called a, a wadi, where there'd be rainstorms that would just rush through this wadi, and it would tumble all the stones. And guess what kind of stones would be inside of that valley? Smooth stones. There's always hope, even when there's a Goliath facing you down. There's always hope. The Bible says, God will not allow us to be tempted above measure, but with every temptation will provide a way out. There's always smooth stones. No matter what your Goliath is, there's always a smooth stone. That's the red corner. How about Israel's champion? Now, David, in the blue corner, David was a son of an Ephrathite, which is interesting. There's a lot of commentaries that say, based on 2 Chronicles, this is a mom's name. It's a woman being promoted. He's the son of this mother. Why would moms matter? <laughs> there it is. That's it, right? Because moms are are the ones that are pouring into kids. And often, 
They're the ones that are really putting in the fear of God into their children day after day after day after day. Not that dads don't matter, but dads are off working and doing other stuff very often. Moms are critical. So the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem and Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in age. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of the three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shamoth. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth between Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. And also take 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand and see if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. <laughs> Here's a loop corner. David. He's given a really cheesy job by his dad. <laughs> right? I'm anointed king. I've been playing music in the castle. Like, really? It's painfully ordinary, isn't it? The Goliath story is like, whoa, that's amazing. The David story is, oh, okay. The overlooked David, right? The younger brother. What is that trying to teach us? It's trying to teach us that what God thinks about us is much more important than what people think about us. That what God's opinion of us is much more important than the world's opinion of a Goliath. That's what it's trying to teach us. It's also trying to teach us the type of person that God seems to use all the time. It never seems to be the right people. Have you noticed that? We did Judges a couple, maybe a year ago. And there are two people in Judges that stand out. First is Samson. Everybody knows about Samson. Strong, victorious, super smart, comes up with riddles, just an amazing, amazing guy. But he never rallied Israel, never freed Israel. His death was kind of brutal and sad. There's another guy, Gideon. When we meet Gideon, he's hiding in a hole trying to make a little food for himself. And an angel shows up and says, hey, thou mighty man of God. And Gideon pops up and goes, where? We need him, <laughs> right? And the guy's like, you, no, nah, not me. He's like, uh-uh. I'm young, I'm the smallest, it's not me, right? He tries to get out of it. And you know, it's Gideon that rallies Israel for a long period of time and defeats an army of 135,000 Midianites with 300 people, right? We have David versus Saul. We're learning about them right now. Saul looked it, head and shoulders. David overlooked by his own dad. Solomon versus Josiah. Solomon should have been able to solidify the kingdom. He doesn't. He's got wisdom like no one else. And yet he hands over a crumbling kingdom to his son. Josiah is an eight-year-old king that actually rebuilds the temple, that re-brings the Torah out, that leads this massive revival in the land. I can go on and on and on and on and on. 
I think it's why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 1, look around. There's not many noble. There's not many wise. But God has chosen the weak things to confound this world. That God loves to use the wrong kind of people to do amazing things because then the glory goes to him. You look at church, it's not who's who of the city, it's often who's he. And God says, perfect, because that's the one I want to use because the glory comes back to me where it rightfully belongs. That's what we're learning with the David character. That's why his introduction is so ordinary. Like, yeah, hey, he's taking care of sheep and he's sent on an errand by his dad, like a gopher. Hey, go take these cheeses to the commander. How cool is that? So now here's what happens. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Now David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charged with the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you not seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, the eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. A miracle happens. It tells us in verse 20, the teenage David woke up early. It's quite amazing. <laughs> he doesn't say to his dad, hey, I'm the king, remember? You're sending me on these errands. These are below me. He wakes up early doing things with a right heart, honoring his dad, working hard. I love the humility of David. 
He doesn't say, hey, I was a musician in front of King Saul in the castle. Come on. I don't do this piddly stuff. He doesn't do that. The Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And in due season, he will raise you up. David's gonna get a raise, a big one pretty soon, because of his humility. I love number two. David, he has a God perspective. For the first time in this narrative, in verse 26, God is finally brought into the conversation. Up to this point, there's been no God talk. It's been Goliath talk. It's been focused on him. David is the first one that comes in and says, hey, who is this guy that's defying the armies of the living God? Are you kidding me? The army's perspective was this. Goliath was too big to fight. David's perspective was this. Goliath is too big to miss. Are you kidding? He's an easy target because he was a servant of God, not a servant of Saul. He knew who he was. They had forgotten who they were. They had forgotten they were the armies of the living God. And because they had forgotten their identity, because they had forgotten who they are, the Hebrew in verse 24 for very afraid is literally the word shattered. They were falling to pieces. Goliath and what he was saying, the word, just the words of the enemy were shattering Israel to pieces. David knew who he was. I'm a child of the king. David knew the promises that were to God's people. Genesis 12, 3. I will curse those that curse you. Goliath is standing up there for 40 days cursing the army. God's going to curse him. He's too big to miss. Are you kidding me? David is the first one to lift his eyes above nine feet, nine inches. And he lifted his eyes up to the God of heaven and he had strength and courage and hope. How about you and me? We got a lot of Goliaths today, a lot of giant problems. And we can sit there and focus on the giant problems at nine feet, nine inches tall. And it's gonna shake you to pieces and you'll be full of fear. Or you can choose, like David, to lift your eyes to heaven, to lift your eyes up higher, to say, I'm not gonna keep focusing on all the problems and all the Goliaths. I'm gonna go higher than that. And I'm gonna get a God perspective and it's gonna change everything. That's what David does. Now, what's the response to David? His brothers mock him. Now, they might be jealous. Remember, they'd seen the whole scene in chapter 16 where each of them had been denied, denied. No, 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 no. And then David gets it. So there's probably a little jealousy in here. Kind of the Joseph mentality again. Joseph was the second youngest of 12. David's the youngest of his brothers. So maybe that's there. But what's interesting to me is this. When I think about great statements of faith, what happens in my heart? Am I a liar? When someone is facing gigantic problems and I just think, oh, those are impossible. And then they make a statement of faith. 
How do I respond to that? Do I mock them? Do I say, come on, get real? Are you kidding me? Do I do that? Or is there something ignited in me because I say that's the right perspective? I don't want to be an Eliab. I want to be someone that when there are great statements of faith being made, I don't throw cold water on it. I don't negate it. I say, that's the right perspective. God, heal my heart. So I see things that way as well. So I see things from a higher perspective. So I stop looking at nine feet, nine inches tall, and I get my eyes on you. How about you personally? When God gives you a great statement of faith and you make that and someone mocks you, what happens to you? I love what David does here. It says this. It says in verse 30 that he turned away from him and toward another. There are times that you just have to turn away from people that don't understand your faith, that don't see things from your perspective. You say, "Eh, no problem. I'm not gonna argue with you about this. I'm gonna turn away to somebody else. I'm gonna find a group of people that ignite my faith with me. People that understand the same God, that have their eyes set on something higher than nine feet, nine inches tall. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna turn to another. But it interests me, before David can fight Goliath, he has to fight his family. Isn't that fascinating? He's gotta get through all them before. I think often, you and I will make steps of faith, and sometimes the very people that are closest to us are the ones that we have to fight through. And you have to say, okay, no problem. You hide in your tent. I'm gonna go face this Goliath. I'm gonna turn to another. So that's what David does. And he hears the same thing. And then verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. And he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go out and fight with this Philistine. I just love that. Right? Don't worry. I'm here. It's taken care of. (laughs) I mean, yes. Love David. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against a Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. Game over. Too bad. Get out. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock and went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, Yahweh, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to him, go, and Yahweh be with you. (laughs) David is the first man in 41 days that the words of Goliath did not affect. 
for 40 days straight, just the words of Goliath caused fear and hiding and shattering to come into the hearts of the entire army of Israel, Saul included. David's the first one that these words cannot affect. And so this goes up the food chain real quick. And pretty soon it comes into Saul. And Saul, first of all, says, hey, no, you need to be afraid like us. You can't do it, which is a royal decree. It should have been, you're out. But David has a tenacity to him. He's like, uh-uh, time out. Wait a second. And he gives this testimony, right? Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. I took him out, no problem. And he said, if God did that for me in the past, God will do this for me today. You know what, that's a, that's a testimony. The reason why we write journals, the reason why we share our testimonies, Psalm 78, the reason why we do those things is so that we remember, if God did that for me in the past, he will do it for me today. And that's exactly what David stood on. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What are you kidding? He's just another beast. That's all he is. And he'll be taken out by the same God that has helped me before. How brilliant is that? Do we hold tenaciously to how God has worked in our past and use that for faith building about how God will deal with our Goliaths today? It's the mark of David. It's gonna be the mark of David. And it's the right way, the right perspective, right? So Saul is like, okay, verse 37, Go, and Yahweh be with you, because that's all you got, buddy. (laughs) Good luck with that. I hope God's with you, because no one else is. You're by yourself. And for the first time, Saul talks God talk. Fear is contagious, but faith is contagious. The faith of David is turning the tide in the army. His faith is the antidote to the fear in this army, and they can feel it. Even Saul now is like, okay, yeah, living God, right? Okay, yeah, I forgot about God. Oh my goodness, God, okay. God be with you, you know? Go do it, because no one else is lining up. In fact, you're the only one, so good luck with that. Go face Goliath. So he does it. Verse 38. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. (laughs) He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried it in vain to go for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go out with these for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took up his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. First, Saul was like, you need to fear like us. And then second, he's like, you need to fight like us. You need to put on my armor. You need to look like Goliath looks. That's what you need to do. If David had gone out with Saul's armor on, what would he have been? Vulture food, right? He would have been doomed There's a lot of Saul's in our life. 
lot of people that want to put their armor on us and say, this is how you need to do, this is how you should live your life. Sometimes it's parents, sometimes it's bosses, sometimes it's the government. This is how you're supposed to do things. And we have to always come back to, wait a second, who am I? David knew who he was. I'm a shepherd. I'm not like all the rest of you here. And I am absolutely unashamed of that. I'm a shepherd. And so I'm going to go out and I'm going to fight this battle like a shepherd. And I don't care about the whispers and I don't care about the mocking and I don't care about any of that because I know who I am. And because I know who I am, I know how I am to act unashamed. And he goes out and picks up five stones And there's a certain brand of Christianity that says he's picked up five stones because of a lack of faith. He didn't know if he'd hit him on the first shot. Which I always say, if you're fighting a giant, how many stones would you pick up? You'd probably take a pickup load of them, right? Just in case. I think it's just five stones. Why not? Picks them up, heads out, goes across ready to fight Goliath. Is Saul gambling right here? Big time. He's sending out a kid. Here's amazing. He made the gamble because of why? Deep prayer, really thinking about things through, through a godly perspective. Why do he make this decision? Because he personally was afraid. And his fear causes him to send a boy to do the job that he should have done, and now this boy is gonna take his job. How poetic is that? That this is what propels David to becoming the king. This is the event. And Saul is the one that actually makes it happen because he's motivated by fear. Fear is a terrible, terrible motivated motivator. The number one command in the Bible is what? Don't be afraid. And it's almost always followed by, because I'm with you. David knows he serves a living God. David would say, I talked to him on the way here this morning. I know God's a living God. I have no fear whatsoever. Send me out to fight this guy. Do you have that same confidence in the living God in your heart? I hope so, you can. You can talk to him tomorrow morning. Do you know that? You can talk to the same living God that David talked to. You can talk to him tomorrow morning. So here he goes. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David and his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, 
You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of Yahweh of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, Yahweh will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that this assembly may know that, the, that Yahweh saves not with the sword and spear, for the battle is Yahweh's, and he will give you into our hand. Right? The Philistine, verse 44, insults David. Come here. You're so small I can't even see you. Come closer, right? You tiny little person. I mean, who are you? It's an insult that you would send out someone so small. And he curses him with the fish god. Oh, no. Ah. <laughs> Don't curse me with the fish god. Do you know that hexes and all that stuff, they're nothing to the people of God? Do you know that? 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Some people have sent me some stuff or someone's like, whatever, sending some kind of hex on me or something. I just started laughing. Like, that's what Satan's trying to do all the time. Are you kidding me? Big whoop. Okay. I'm not, forget about it. No problem. David's not worried. Are you kidding? Goes right back to God. This battle is big. Why? Because God. And the whole earth is going to know. Is it true? Does the whole earth know about this story? Oh, yeah. Right? Little did David know how prophetic his words were. One of these stories, the, the archetypal stories of Western civilization is this story right here. How incredible is that? And here's what I think. I think David knew this law. It's Leviticus 24:16, And it was for the land of Israel only. That if you're in the land of Israel, you are not allowed to blaspheme Yahweh. If you did blaspheme Yahweh, it was a capital offense. And guess how you were to be killed? Stoned. How interesting that is. You blaspheme my God. Time to stone you. I think that's David right here. How good is that? That this battle is way bigger. This is about God's name. This is about Israel regaining their identity. They're not servants of Saul. They're servants of Yahweh. They need to remember who they are. That's what this is about right now. And Goliath, you're gonna be an object lesson for me. So the Philistine arose and came and drew near to David. And David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. I can almost guarantee you this is the first time in Goliath's long war history that someone had ran to him. He's probably like, what in the world? The little guy's running at me. What is he thinking, right? And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. Timber. 
How anticlimactic is that battle? <laughs> right? The buildup, massive buildup, 10 seconds, it's over. Wow, okay, right? I wonder, like, what were Goliath's last thoughts? A whizzing sound, do you hear something? Thump! Oh, I got a headache, man. I don't know. I have a video, though, of somebody throwing a rock with a sling. Check this out, it's only 10 seconds long. Can we get, is there any sound on that? Try it again. Yeah, uh-huh, that would hurt. That's gonna leave a mark. <laughs> so David does exactly what he said he was going to do. And there's some really big things in this because Israel at this point was still unsure of exactly who God is. It's why they would always toy with idols because they weren't sure, is God the only God or is there some other gods? And there was this accusation against Yahweh in the Bible that Yahweh was the God of the mountains, but he was not the God of the valleys. So guess where David fights Goliath? In the Valley of Elah. No, he's the living God. He's the only God. That this is bigger. This is bigger. And when God is blasphemed, there will be consequences. How cool. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fled, fell on the way from Sharim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem and he put his armor in his tent. He just kept the head. I just see David just walking around carrying this gigantic head, right? And I think he actually keeps it because he ends up living in Jerusalem as king. I think he had the skull with a big stone right in the center where it killed him. It was a reminder to him of how powerful God is. We never forget and we never fear. If you never forget what God has done for you, you will not fear the Goliaths of this world. So I think David just took it with him and whenever fear would start to grip his heart, he'd just look back at that and go, Haha, I got nothing to fear. I have nothing to fear. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the cat commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, oh, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, inquire whose son the boy is. As soon as David returned from striking down the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul and the head of Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Does that strike you as funny? Remember chapter 16? David was called to play music for Saul when the evil spirit was given to him and it soothed him. And it says that Saul loved David and Saul made David his armor bearer. And he was asking Jesse, his dad, hey, let him come and hang out with me more. 
Now, probably a couple of years has gone by, and maybe David was 14 then, and maybe he's 16 now, and you can change a little bit in those two years. But are you kidding me? You don't recognize him? You don't remember? Saul doesn't remember, right? Can you imagine a leader of a nation forgetting things? It's insane to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. <sighs> no, please don't. <laughs> That's going to be emails. Thank you. <laughs> Here's what this is saying to us. When God's spirit departs from Saul, it has left him as a shell. That's what's happened. Saul is left now. He's incompetent. And his incompetence is going to make him unbelievably unstable in the next chapters. And you just see it getting worse and worse and worse and worse. That's what it's telling us. He's lost it. It's downhill from here, right? So I have three minutes. We make just a couple statements on this. It's such a brilliant chapter. I should have chopped it in two, but here they are. Number one, who are you listening to? God or Goliath? You'll know because one voice will produce fear and the other will produce faith. And both of them are contagious. When I repeat to people, my view, six, nine feet, nine inches, or the heavens, what I repeat out is gonna be contagious to those around me. Who are you listening to? Number two, who are you following? You serving a Saul or serving a Yahweh? Some people follow a church or they follow a man or they follow whatever. And I always think, look out, that's dangerous because he will disappoint you. She will disappoint you. The church will disappoint you. But if we're following Jesus, he promises never to leave us or forsake us. Whose servant are we? I pray you're servants of Jesus because you will not be disappointed. Number three, what do you fear? Fear is all about perspective, isn't it? A 10-foot perspective or a heavenly perspective. I think it's why Jesus, when he begins the prayer, the model of prayer, he begins by saying, our Father who art in, get your eyes up. Get off the storm, off the Goliath. Get it where it belongs. What's your perspective? Number four and last one. This story is not about David and his courage and his effort this story is a story of faith in God and what happens in the life of someone who has faith in God. That it begins to come from inside of you and pushes out of you and you begin to live like David. David was like, I'm gonna muster up some courage right here. David lived the life of faith in God. So when the Goliath came, it wasn't like, boy, I better figure out what to do here. He's like, are you kidding me? God helped me with the lion and the bear. God's been helping me. He's with me my whole life. Uh, this is just one more step to becoming who God wants me to be. This is a story about faith in God. Do we have faith in God? Do we really believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? That no matter what Goliath I am facing, we still serve the giant killer, the one who is alive, the one who can, the one who's capable. Jesus, may we trust you 
May we have big faith in you. May you, may you still the fear in us of the Goliaths of our day. May we lift our eyes up and set them firmly upon you, the author and finisher of our faith. And I pray this in your name, amen. Amen, God bless you guys.